me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 6, and if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We can put one in your hand. Hebrews chapter 6, we'll finish the sixth chapter this morning. By the way, whenever I post things like this on social media, I don't get a whole lot of likes, by the way. I probably get unfollowed and unfriended and, and all the other stuff that comes with it. I really don't care because uh, God says this is what people need to know. This is what the world needs to know. And the first people that actually liked it were missionaries from around the world. They were like, uh, yeah, yeah, we, we, we attest to that. But keep praying. But not just keep praying. Keep living it out, what the Lord's called us to do. And that's what we're focused on this morning in Hebrews chapter 6. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We can put one in your hands. If you're visiting or somehow you left it in the car and you were afraid to run out in front of everybody, we make sure you have one. Picking up with verse 13, Hebrews chapter 6. Picking up with verse 13. Um, maybe for point of context. I don't do this all. Let me read last week's section first, just for point of context, because I want you to see it all fits together. These are links in the chain. We're picking up with this link, but we left off. Let's uh, couple them together for just a second. Verse 9 from last week, but beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you, yes, things that accompany salvation. Though we speak in this manner, the rebuke that we saw the week prior or two weeks prior. Verse 10, for God is not unjust, to forget your work, your labor of love, which you have shown toward his name. It's always towards his name if it's genuine. It's always out of love if it's genuine. And that you have ministered to the saints and you do minister. In other words, you're working hard to build up the body. Verse 11, and we desire that each, of, each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. That you do not become sluggish or sleepy, as we just read in, the, in, the, in that quote. Not become sluggish, but imitate those through faith and patience. Inherit the promises. Be like Paul. Be like Moses. Finish the race. And it goes on. So that was verse 12. Look at verse 13. We'll pick up for this morning. For when God made a promise to Abraham, you think Abraham finished his race? Yes. He's one of the ones that is speaking of, of looking back and imitating the faith of those who have gone before us. For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could not swear, he could, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely, blessing, I will bless you, and multiplying, I will multiply you. And so, after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to heirs of promise uh, the immutability of his counsel, confirmed in it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. We might have strong consolation who fled for refuge, lay hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which enters the presence behind the veil, where the forerunner has entered, even for even, uh, 
For the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Let's pray. Father, we just ask again that your spirit would minister your word, remove every distraction, anything, Lord, that would hinder the sweet fragrance of your spirit ministering in our midst. Lord, again, cleanse us, wash us, clear our minds and our hearts to hear from you, Jesus. Remove me once again from the equation that we might hear you and you alone from your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. By the way, sometimes when I read my own text, I've got highlighters so much, I'm like, I, I've highlighted so many times, I can't even see a two, and I'm like, where's that right there? You know, there's a blue highlighter, and the, the, the two is gone, and the four is gone. They're there, but they've now blended all together, so I apologize. But um, we saw last week that labor of love. Have you been thinking about that, that your work for Christ is to be a labor of love, to love God, to love others, to live it out? Well, when you live for God and you love God and you love others, guess what can happen sometimes in your life? We talked about this. Um, uh, the Bible says, be not, be, don't become weary and well-doing. You ever, you ever just been worn out? All of your giving out. And really, you say, Lord, I'm, I'm, I really want to serve you, but I'm wiped. I'm worn out. I'm, or I'm waiting for something, praying for something, believing for something. Because the spiritual walk is not easy. It is, a, it is like, um, I don't know, it's, it's like running the heptathlon or something, right? You know what I mean? It will, it's got these different stages and can become weary. And you, you're like, I'm trying to get to the finish. I'm trying to get to the obtaining part. I'm trying to get to the finish line. And in all, you need, you need God's help to take each step forward, don't you? Your heart soul says, I want to, but your flesh is really weak, isn't it? Have you ever lacked confidence? Ever? you ever doubted the very steps you're taking? That the faith you're exercising, you ever doubted, will this even work? Is this going to work, Lord? Of course you have. We all have. And the writer of Hebrews is assuring the church in these verses that they can have a supreme confidence. Not in themselves. We call that self-confidence, right? God's not told you to have self-confidence. He told you to have no confidence in self. Remember, we read the verse where Paul said, we couldn't trust ourselves. If the apostle Paul couldn't trust himself, you know we can't trust ourselves. Amen? Amen. But rather, what the scriptures point to is an unshakable a God confidence, a Christ confidence. Webster's Dictionary, the 1828 version of Webster's, because it's been updated, and actually, as sometimes it's updated, it gets a little weaker in the, in the definition, but the 1828 version, it comes from the Latin word confide, the word confidence. It means a trusting, a reliance, an assurance of mind, or firm belief in the integrity of, Stability or veracity of another, or in truth and reality of a fact. You can have confidence in something that's a fact, right? 
You, you, uh, you get out a ruler, and you know you can have confidence when you put that ruler down, when it says measure six inches, you have confidence that six inches is six inches. Do you ever, you've never said, I really wonder if this is for real six inches. I'm going to have a philosophical debate with myself for the next 10 weeks before I measure this. No, you have a confidence, the veracity that the ruler is legitimate. You've seen hundreds of them. They're all the exact same size. You now see it as fact. God wants us to see his word that way. Amen? Amen. Where you say, I can lay it down right here. It's going to measure correct every time. And the only one in the entire universe in all of history that we can place that level of confidence in is our God and Savior. Amen? It's why the psalmist said in Psalm 118.8, it is better to trust in the Lord than put confidence in man. Oh, that's so true with election season coming up, isn't it? (laughs) If we know anything by now, do not put confidence in men or women running for office. But we can put confidence in the one who will someday rule as king of kings. You see, a man or a woman can't make anything happen. Nothing. Did you realize a person can't, if God says, someone says, I'm going to make this happen tomorrow, God says, what if I call you your life tonight? You can't make that happen, right? We can't really make anything happen, nor can we keep anything from happening. Can any of us keep a volcano from erupting somewhere in the world today? No. We can't keep anything from happening. We can't make anything happen. Uh, it was like the Titanic. We can make big, bold statements, but we can't back them up. As humans, this ship will never sink. Less than a week later. Tragic, but we can't back these things up. God, on the other hand, he has no limitations. What he promises will come to pass. That's good news for us, isn't it? What he promises, that's what the verse starts off. For when God made a promise, that's uh, the starting verse of our text this morning, verse 13. God has no limitations. It will come to pass. Whatever he says, we can fully rely on. We can fully trust it. We can fully trust it. If you're taking notes, you see the title of our time, the word God ensures his promises. Does that encourage you this morning? It should. It should encourage you that God's going to keep his promises. A lot of people will not keep their promises to you in life. That's why people end up in divorce. That's why people end up bitter at each other, and there's all kinds of fragmented relationships, parent-child. Sometimes a company will say, well, we're going to have you here for life, and they lay you off a year later, right? People will fail you. God will never fail. You should be encouraged by the fact that God's going to ensure his promises. If you're taking notes, three things that we'll look at this morning. Back to three last week. I did two, but back to three this week. And we'll start with his promises. God's made many of them in Scripture. If you've read the Bible, you've seen a lot of promises in the Bible. God makes a lot of promises. One we're focused on here this morning was one that was given to the patriarch of the Jewish people, Abraham. But the wider context is that the nature and the faithfulness of God is never changing. Did you hear me? The faithfulness of God is never changing. He's the same in 2019 as he was in AD 50, as he was in you know, 2000 BC. The same. His purposes are unfailing. We want to start off this morning by looking at this first 
uh, point this morning, his promises. For when God made a promise to Abraham, he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. The first question I want to ask, do we trust the promises of God? Do you trust God's promises? If Jesus says, if you abide in me, you'll bear much fruit, do you believe that promise? Is that enough for you to say, yes, I'm going to abide? We have here a proof point of a past promise. Do you like proof points? Like, you know, someone says, uh, you know, I believe if you go here, you're going to save this much money. Well, how do you know? I got the receipt to prove it. It's a proof point. I was just there. You can trust this is how much. We have a proof point here of a past promise. And we have the way in which God stated it. The cited promise is the promise to Abraham. The passage that the writer is quoting from is found back in Genesis chapter 22, verses 16 and 17. Uh, this is on Mount Moriah. Uh, Mount Moriah was the place that later the temple would be built on that same Mount Moriah in the city of Salem, which would become Jerusalem today on the same spot. But that's where Isaac would lay down the altar, same spot. And this is where the promise is made. Now, uh, he says in verse 14, Surely blessing, I will bless you, and multiplying, I will multiply you. Now, God had already made this same promise to Abraham on several prior occasions before he took Isaac to Mount Moriah. God had made the same promise, the one, I'll bless you, I'll multiply. And, and in different wording, too, like, I'll make you as the stars of the heavens, the sand of the sea. He had told him, um, on other occasions, this is what I'm going to do for you. But at Mount Moriah, he specifically expresses his promise is based on himself. God says, I swear by myself. It's all based on me. It's not based on you. It's not based on Sarah. We'll get back to that in a couple of minutes about all being based on God. But when God said this, we can call it proof point number one. Proof point number one. Think of it as the one-inch line and a marathon of to-be-fulfilled promises or promise, a single promise here that was right there with Abraham. What do I mean is the proof point that was there? We know what God said, but there's already a proof point evident there at Mount Moriah with Abraham. The one-inch line of the prophecy to come was the presence of Isaac. Now, it's not, that's not in the text here. But the fact that Isaac is there is the one-inch line. In other words, the promise is already out of the gate. Does that make sense? The, God's already made the promise. Here he's codifying it and again saying it's all based on me. But Abraham has a proof point right there on the altar, and it's Isaac. Remember... It appeared for many years that Abraham would never have an heir, didn't it? He's like, people are like, Abraham, your God doesn't keep his promises. You're 94 now. You're 95 now. You're 96 now. I know, but trust me, it's going to happen. Imagine all the people that doubted. Some of the people that doubt your faith at work. Oh, you believe all this, you believe all this. You know, they, they can point out things that have gone wrong in your life and say, but that's not what I'm trusting in. I'm trusting the finished work. 
He's not finished with me yet, but he's finished the work. Amen? Amen. But Isaac was there. But at age 100, for Abraham age 100, Isaac's finally born. So here on Mount Moriah, the proof point's already present. It should be a light bulb to Abraham when God says a promise. Well, he's already started the promise. But there was no multiplication yet. Isaac simply replaces Abraham. That's a one-to-one transaction. <coughs> Abraham dies, now we have Isaac. What if Isaac doesn't have kids? Right? It's entirely a possibility because it took forever for Abraham and Sarah to have one. They're nowhere near the stars of the heavens yet, are they? It's just dad and son. There's no multiplication yet. This is one-to-one. There's not even two sons because Esau doesn't count in this equation. He wasn't, the, he wasn't the heir. But Isaac was a down payment, a miraculous one on the long-term promise. Does that make sense? Isaac was a down payment, a proof point that all the rest is coming. You know, what God, when you first got saved, God starts to give you down payments on what he's going to do. You start seeing all of a sudden, man, I like going to church now. I like worshiping now. I actually want to read my Bible now. These are proof points that the Holy Spirit has begun a good work in you. But it's just the beginning. And Abraham, he's patiently endured. Aren't you glad that the love and the grace of God ignores where he wasn't so patient? That's where we get Esau. Um, You know, we have, not Esau, Ishmael, sorry. Esau's the other brother coming later. Uh, so Jacob and Esau. But uh, Ishmael and Isaac. So we get Ishmael. Scratch that from the record. But anyway, um, Ishmael uh, is because there was a period of time that Abraham wasn't so patient. You ever look back and say, God, thank you for overlooking those times and covering them by the blood, covering them by grace. That, that's, that's not mentioned here. It just says he's patiently waited. Because even as we are growing, we actually have two steps forward sometimes and one step backwards. But thankfully, it's not two steps back and only one step forward. God overlooked all that until the promised son, the progenitor of millions later, was finally given. And it was at Mount Moriah that Abraham demonstrated that he trusted the promises of God. No matter what, at this point, he had come to the place, his faith had grown, took him till he was 100. Well, he had grown a lot by then, anyway. But here he was, no matter what, that even if God took away the son that he had waited for, that God still had a viable solution, and that viable solution was that God can still keep his promises. Amen? Amen. If he had to raise Isaac from the dead, he could do it. How about us? Have we become convinced that God will keep his promises? Are you convinced that God's going to keep his promises? That if you, remember we read last week that feed on the faithfulness, that you feed on the faithfulness, the good of the land? Do you believe that if we do these things, that those that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength? Do you believe that? Or do you think, well, that's just a promise to somebody, but it sure isn't to me. Now, you have, to, you have to claim the promises of God. Do you know that? You have, to, you have to meditate on them. You have to believe and say, Lord, I'm struggling to have, help me have faith in this promise. Yeah. 
You have to preach to yourself. The Holy Spirit will help you. He'll light that fire. Have we become convinced that God will keep his promises? All of God's past promises should undergird our confidence. All of his past promises he's kept should undergird our confidence. How confident are you that God won't fail you? That God's not going to fail you? That you can take that step? That you can pick up the phone and say, uh, Lord, you put on my heart to call this person. This is not going to go well. God says, if I've told you to do it, don't worry. As Dr. Charles Stanley's been saying for you, just trust God for the results. Just trust God for the results. Think about it. Abraham saw the first proof point in Isaac. But we can now see the second proof point, presently and historically. You say, what do you mean by that? How are we seeing the... Now, we know Isaac existed, just like Abraham did. That's proof point number one. This is dad to son. We have a one-to-one ratio here. There's no multiplication yet. But we can see the second proof point. And like I said, presently and historically, how? We know Israel was then formed later. He'd have a grandson, right? Name Jacob, who would become Israel. And then they became a bunch of tribes. Then they became a nation. Then they were delivered from Egypt. They rose to prominence under King David and Solomon. Dispersed among all the nations. There are Jewish people living all over the world now. Different cities, different continents. Oh, and other nations, they rose from Abraham too. Ishmael, Esau, later his grandson, other nations. And then Jesus, our Lord and Savior, he comes to the line of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, all the way to the line of Christ. So we can see now, we now have not just that Isaac was there, which was the one inch line, but we see, we actually see all over the world the descendants of Abraham. Isn't that amazing? In our lifetime, we can see, you see Jewish people, they are the blood relatives. You see saved people, well, they're the spiritual relatives. The Bible speaks of both. We know that we are now all the spiritual sons and daughters of of Abraham. Did you know that? We are the spiritual sons and daughters of Abraham. Uh, Jesus, um, when he went to Zacchaeus' house, it's in, uh, it's in Luke chapter 19. When Zacchaeus came to faith, now Zacchaeus was not liked at all because he was a tax collector, the lowest of low. So even though he was Jewish, he was, in, in their minds, like bastardized for being a tax collector. How in the world could you work for the filthy Romans and take taxes? So they would kind of like excommunicate him from the seed of Abraham. But look at what Jesus said in verse 9 of chapter 19. And Jesus said to him, being Zacchaeus, today salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of Abraham. Jesus knew his theology, didn't he? he wrote the whole Bible, right? But he's saying, no, no, because you have come to faith in me, now you're a son of Abraham. You, if you're saved or you're born again, now you're a son and daughter of Abraham spiritually. Some of you may remember the, the kid's Sunday school song, Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had father. Let's all sing it together. I'm just kidding. No, we, 
Um, <laughs> might fire you up first. It might get some energy going. But all of this is from this promise. The fact that we're the sons and daughters of Abraham comes from this promise. Millions upon millions of descendants via the bloodline on one side, in other words, the Jewish people, and then the spiritual birth on the other side. And really, you want to be on that side. I mean, every Jewish person needs to be born again. They need to be, on the, they need to be like Zacchaeus. A spirit, he already was physically a son of Abraham, although they didn't recognize him as such. But he became a spiritual son of Abraham. Why? Because Abraham believed God, and it was accounted in righteousness, as we read uh, in our text earlier. So you have these two uh, lines of Abraham, the spiritual side and the physical side, and even the physical side, again, of other nations that came through Ishmael and Esau, as I mentioned. So these two proof points, Isaac and the fact that we have all these millions of descendants all over the world, all came from a man that at age 100, by all reasonable understanding, could never have a son. That's what anyone would conclude. And was even asked in a test to give up the one son he finally had. Just when you think God's taking you to the brink of teaching you something, he takes you a little farther. Amen? Amen. Don't be surprised. Say, Lord, I thought I was at the brink. Nope, there's actually more, there's actually more room to take you further out on this cliff. But God kept the promise. And that past promise tells us that our promises will come to pass. Our promises are going to come to pass. Here's one. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. Do you believe that? Or are you lulled to sleep? Say, I don't think, I think Jesus is going to come back. I think my ship's going to come in. No, Jesus is coming back. Let's not forget that the fulfillment of promises, look what it says here, and so he patiently endured. Verse 15. He obtained the promise after he patiently endured. Uh, the promises often, I would say, usually take longer than we expect. Let me say that again. The promises that you are investing in, believing in, will take longer, almost always, than you expect. And we ex I expect. And that's why we have to develop patience. We have to develop a deeper faith. We have to get more rooted in the promises of the Lord and, that, and think about them more often. To think about those things are lovely and a good report. So we're not clouded out by the doubts of the enemy. Satan's, he's always trying to sow doubts and discord, isn't he? Always doubts and discord. Always lies. Anything to get you to not believe what God has promised and not focus on what God has promised. And by the way, Abraham would live to see the birth of Jacob. I mentioned his name would come Israel. He would live to see uh, the name of Israel come forth. Abraham was still alive when, when Jacob was born. Now, he didn't see the fulfillment of all the, the sons and all of that, but he made it past the one-inch line. Let's say that Abraham made it to the one-foot line with Jacob. Because Jacob's... Now, now, we, have, now we have a multiplication. Isaac... Plus Jacob is two to replace one. And when you have two, two can become four. When we have four, they can become eight. Let's all do the math together. Eight can become 16. No, we'll stop there. Let's look at the next point. If you're taking notes, 
We have his promise. We also have his guarantee. Back to verse 1, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. Verse 16, for men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation of the end uh, ends all dispute. Now, again, people would take an oath of God, say, in other words, God strike me dead, or I take an oath on the Lord's name, and they would invoke the Lord's name to end a dispute, say, I, if you really kind of had a respect for the holiness of God, you wouldn't use God's name to, uh, to claim, no, I promise you, I have not stolen your animal, I swear to the Lord of hosts that I have not stolen your animal, all right, and that would, that would generally end a dispute, but who is God going to swear to, right? Who is he going to say, all right, who's going who's gonna to vouch for me? Isn't it amazing when you, when you run into atheists that say, I've talked to God and he doesn't answer me yet. I've, I've shouted at him. I've thrown my fist in the air. I've said, if you're really there, strike me dead and all that other kind of stuff. Don't. You'll get your opportunity. You keep it up. No, we have to pray. We have to, I, I tell him, so that's the grace of God. Because if I was God, I would have dealt with you already. But then again, I would have dealt with me already. So, you know, it's, it works both ways. If I was God, I would never have saved me. And if I was God, I would have wiped it. You'd all be gone. And we'd all be gone. But God is loving and, he, and he's patient. But when it comes to his name, only he can vouch for his name. I've said many times over the years, we can make promises even with the best of intentions. We have really every intention to keep a promise. You ever said, I have every intention, I'm going to be there, and you completely forgot to be there. You're like, I'm so sorry. I had it written down. I had this. I had that. We have all these different things. We can't keep some of the promises we make, even when we have the best of intentions. We could have car issues. We could get the flu. All these things, things that we didn't expect, and we're not able to keep a promise. God doesn't have this issue. He's never had, wow, I would have been there. I would have done this, but this impeded me. This empire stopped me. Nothing impedes the Lord. He can promise and guarantee. We, we read the verse earlier. He, whatever he says, it's his pleasure. It's done. He's never up there worried like, how am I going to resolve this problem? God not only makes promises, but he fully ensures them while bringing them to pass. He's ensuring them while he's bringing them to pass. Now, the promise of God is in itself a guarantee. Wouldn't you say when God says, surely I'll do something, that in and of itself, he doesn't need to swear by himself. Just he says it, it's guaranteed. When he said, let there be light, he didn't say, does anyone else want to back me up on this? No. He says it, it is a guarantee. But based on the weakness of our faith, men's faith, Abraham's faith, God made an oath to Abraham. Sometimes we need a little more assurance from God. Than, and he kind of looks at how weak we are and says, I know, you need a little assurance. Here's a little, here's a little extra for you. A little extra assurance. It's that second witness of his faithfulness. You know, the Bible talks about second and third witness in the scriptures. In uh, Matthew chapter 18, 16, Jesus actually mentions it. He says, by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. Jesus is quoting the principle that was given um, under the law 
to Moses back in the book of Deuteronomy to ensure that an accusation was always accurate and verifiable, but the essence was to validate the testimony with another witness and maybe even a third witness. Make sense? That not only would you say, I, I swear by the Lord of hosts, and I even have a witness here who saw that I was over here, so I couldn't have taken the cow. So it's validated not only by oath, but also by this second witness that the testimony could be trusted. But God, as both declaring a promise and confirming it with an oath, is providing two perfectly faithful witnesses in one source himself. He's like, I'm the second witness, and I am the oath to myself. It's a done deal. If I say it, it will happen. It will come to pass. Verse 13, uh, um, it states that no one uh, valid outside of his own authority. There's no one sovereign like him. There's no one perfect like him. So he must invoke his own name because there's no one else that can actually stand in the holiness and perfection of God, the steadfastness of God. Look at this quote from A.W. Tozer. He says, even to discuss the authority of Almighty God seems a bit meaningless, and to question it would be absurd. To whom would God go for permission? Who is higher than the highest? Who is mightier than the Almighty? Whose throne would God kneel? At whose throne would God kneel? I mean, God's, when he speaks, he's speaking without any peer, without anyone vouching for him. He says, when I speak, It'll happen, and I give you my own name as a proof that I'll bring it to pass. We have these past proof points, but God says we don't even need any of that. His word is good. Verse 17 and 18, look at verse 17 and 18. Thus God determined to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which is it impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation. We'll stop right there. Verses 17 and 18 make the promise and guarantee even more ironclad for our understanding, even more ironclad for our thinking. You and me can't keep any and all promises. We already, we've established that. We cannot keep even the promises we want to keep sometimes. And unlike God, we have a second issue with us. We don't always tell the truth. We not only can't keep all of our promises because I said I would be there, but I didn't know I'd break my foot. So now I'm not here. But on the second issue, we sometimes don't tell the truth. But today, once you become saved, you just leave information out. <laughs> right? We, we don't, we don't boldface lie after we come to Christ. We just leave details out that would actually establish what really was the real deal here, right? And we've got to get past that. That's sin. And we, but God will show us those things. And no, 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 you're still shading things. God doesn't do that. Romans 3, 4, let God be true and every man a liar. Every man. God never lies. He's never had a moment where he just shaded the truth a little bit. With God, 
his self-contained twofold witness is the revelation of two immutable things. Number one, nothing can stop God from keeping his promises. That's immutable, number one. Nothing can stop God from keeping his promises. And number two, at no point, at no point will God ever lie or state anything that is not absolute truth. Those two things. Nothing can stop him from keeping his promises, and he will never lie. The Greek word for immutable means fixed or unalterable. Fixed or unalterable. Malachi 3.6, you probably know this passage. For I am the Lord, I do not change. Well, isn't that great when we have a culture that's trying to change every single foundational thing known to man? God's like, they can change it all they want. I'm not changing. God's not changing. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. 2 Corinthians 1.20, for all the promises of God in him are yes and amen. Yes and amen. In other words, we agree. We agree that all the promises of God will happen. Some have already happened. All the rest are in the process of happening or will happen. In other words, Jesus has not returned for his second coming yet. But we have a proof point that he came what? The first time. And he rose when he, from the dead when he came. And the temple's no longer there. All these are things that Jesus, remember he said the temple would be gone. He said, I'll raise myself from the dead. We have those proof points to know that the past proof points tell us you can better believe the second coming is going to happen too. He's going to come for his church. They're never changing promises. Fixed, guaranteed immutable as God promised Abraham. He's telling the writer, the writer of Hebrews, I'm going to keep the promises to you too. I loved Abraham and I love you guys as well. Isn't that great to know? So what should all this do for our faith and our confidence? Middle of verse 18, we're going to, last point we'll look at this morning. That we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge. Did you need refuge this week? Was there a time this week said, Lord, I need refuge in you. To lay hold on the hope set before us. This hope we have is an anchor of the soul. We talked about this a few weeks ago. This isn't just a light light surface. This soul level anchor. Both sure and steadfast. This is the kind of anchor that, that, you know, you could actually storm the beaches of Normandy. Because it's so deep within you. Now, I believe in the mission. But greater than that, we believe in the one who actually saved our souls, which is even bigger than a mission. Generous the presence behind the veil. Last thing, if you're taking notes this morning. Our anchor. We have his promises and his guarantee, but our anchor. We have strong consolation. Not just consolation here, it's a strong consolation. And the word consolation means comfort or encouragement. If you need comfort and encouragement, there's no place on earth that can provide it to you at the soul level but Jesus. People can come alongside you and they will be helpful, but when they walk back out the door and they can't be beside you day by day, minute by minute, you need something that is ever present. Amen? I love the help of people. People can't be in your mind and in your soul. God can. So you have a strong consolation, a refuge, 
a hope to lay hold of. And not only that, to look for. It says set before us. God actually puts it out there so we have something to focus on. And those of you that have actually, you know, if you've ever done boating or everything, you, those navigational buoys are really helpful. They're out there so you can see where you're going. God says, I put hope out there so you can follow. I give you a beacon, a lighthouse, if you will. It's set out there and you can actually look towards in the direction of my word. That word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Now, a strong consolation and hope is especially helpful if you're waiting on promises and scriptures in your life that you haven't seen fully come to pass, but you're believing them. Look at this quote from Pastor David Guzik. He says, A season of patient endurance is a time of spiritual attack. Hmm. It seems that we may never obtain the promise of God in our life. It is easy to wonder, will God really come through in my situation? The enemy will attack and say, he won't. So you should probably just start drinking. He won't, so you should just stop going to church. He won't, so you should do this. He won't, so you should get into this relationship. That will make you happy. Trials are also a point where Satan loves to come in. That's why he told Job's wife, tell Job to throw in the towel. Tell him to give up. And the Holy Spirit was enough to tell Job, no, no, you can't do that. You've got to have people that preach the word to you. I mean, it is helpful to have someone come alongside. Maybe turn on the radio and you're about to, to kind of, I'm not going to mess with going to prayer meetings anymore. None of my prayers are being answered. It's a waste of my time. And then some pastor says, Get to that prayer meeting tonight. You turn on the radio and you're like, all right, that's the Lord. <laughs> Reminding you that his promises, he says, wait on me. Well, will God come through in your situation? Yes. Yes. In your and my timing, no. In Abraham's timing, no. Sarah's timing, no. But in God's timing, yes. We have his promise. We have his guarantee. And we have an anchor, it says here. Verse 19, the hope we have as an anchor to hold firm. We have an anchor to hold firm to. I didn't mean to go that far. I will stay there for a second. You don't need an anchor if the seas are really calm. But in the storms of life, you're going to need an anchor. You're going to need an anchor. Our hope in verse 18 is set before us. It's set before us by God the Father. He, you can't create hope. You believe on God's hope. He sets it before us. He, you can't conjure up hope, nor can you conjure up grace. You know what I'm saying? These things come down from the Father. He gives hope. He gives grace. You actually can't even conjure up faith. He gives a measure of faith. And then we build on that. He gives light to every man. So, he puts this hope out in front of us. It says, the hope set before us in verse 18. We have this anchor to steady us when the waves are crashing. There was an old hymn that says these words. We have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll. Anchor to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. We have an anchor. If he's promised, if he's guaranteed, 
If he set the anchor before us, wait on him, worship in him, and hold tight to him. That's what Jesus said. He said, abide in me. Brother and sister, God's checks never bounce. His checks don't bounce. He's got more than enough. Thank him for all the fulfilled promises. If you can't be thankful for your, the ones you've seen, just start thanking him for the ones everybody else says. Lord, thank you for what you did for Abraham. Thank you for what you did for Paul. Literally name saints. I'm serious. Add this to your prayer life. Just start thanking him for what he's already done. God loves when his children acknowledge what he's done. And it will be a medicine for you, I promise you. And while you're, while you're acknowledging what he's done for others, start encouraging other people. One of the biggest things that can get you out of a malaise is to go back to the previous verses, for God is not unjust to forget your work and your labor of love. Go start laboring with saints, pouring into them. And then the promises will start to come back into your mind as you pray them. It all works together. You can't, you can't discount verses 9 through 12 and just uh, cling to verses 13 through 20. They all work together. But we can have hope, which is a joyful expectation as we wait for him to change us. Even if the circumstances haven't changed yet, he's changing us. Isn't that great? Because you and I need some remodeling all the time. And while you wait, meditate on these promises. Thank him for these fulfilled ones. This is called praise. Praise God. Yes, we can look to the past promises and the prophecies fulfilled. But more importantly, and more faith-affirming, we now look to the promised one. Coming to the close here, look at these last few. And which enters the presence behind the veil. Where the forerunner has entered. For us, even Jesus. Verse 20. Having become high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So now, we not only have the past promise to look to, but we have the promised one who is sitting there in the throne room of grace waiting for us to come to him. We can come directly to the Lord, the one who is the fulfillment of all that Abraham looked forward to, of all the promises of God, none but Jesus. The one who tore the earthly veil, didn't he? Yes. There on the cross, he tore the earthly veil and <coughs> became our holy sinless high priest that now goes behind the heavenly veil as our forerunner. Forerunner means we follow after him. We follow after him. And he takes us with him by his throne of grace behind the veil. He takes us behind the heavenly veil. We come boldly into the presence of the Lord. And like Melchizedek, and we'll get more into Melchizedek again next week first, uh, in chapter 7, like Melchizedek, that was the priest before and outside of the Levitical priesthood, Melchizedek was the very priest that, guess who stood before? Abraham. Jesus is the priest over and outside the Levitical priesthood. And he was long before Abraham because he said in John 8, 58, most assuredly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. God's bringing it all full circle here. And Abraham's word Melchizedek, but I have the greater Melchizedek, unless Jesus, in fact, is Melchizedek, which is a different theological topic. But nevertheless, our hope, our trust, our anchor is the one who cleansed us, is the one who redeemed us, 
is the one who tore the veil and goes behind the veil for us and is now our eternal priest. He's never failed a single son or daughter of God. Do you believe that? He's never failed a single son or daughter of God. Satan's failed lots of people. And he won't fail us. And as we read earlier, Isaiah 46.10, My counsel shall stand. I will do all my pleasure. It should encourage you to know God is going to do everything he promised. Amen? Amen? Don't trust ourselves. Don't trust yourself. Do trust in his faithfulness. And we'll close with this. In the fear of the Lord, there is strong what? Confidence. And his children will have a place of, there's the word again, refuge. God is saying, I'm calling you to do the work back in verses 9 through 12. But as you do that work, it'll get weary sometimes. You'll wait a long time sometimes. Keep focused on my promises and I'll bring it all to pass. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father, we, we do need your promises. And Lord, we need you to fortify our faith when sometimes we waver. But we thank you that we have an anchor of hope who's Jesus himself. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are the one that we look to. You're the fulfillment of every promise. All the scriptures speak of you. And Lord, it's our desire to stake our lives as Abraham did on your promises and to know that you can't fail and you cannot lie. And if you've promised us that if we abide in you, we'll bear much fruit, you'll keep it. If you've promised us you'll return for us one day, you'll keep it. If you've promised us that you'll give us your peace, you'll keep it. If you've promised us that the world can't overcome us, in fact, we'll overcome the world, that you'll keep it. And Lord, our own weaknesses assail us and fail us. But Lord, as we look to you, you have no limitations. None. Lord, forgive us of our own doubting. Help us to encourage one another, to remind one another, to confess to one another. And Lord, just to pray for one another that we would grow in this holy, godly confidence. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.